Denial is one of the greatest human flaws. It's actually the stuff of tragedy. We can always rationalize our behavior as good or maybe okay and surely at least better than most. But the truth is that all of us fall short of what we were created to be by God. Yes, I said it, okay? We are all created by God to be his ambassadors, as we heard two weeks ago from Scripture. Now, I know this puts me in a minority in the United States, and especially in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. But, but, it really doesn't matter. God does exist. God did make us, and he makes the rules for us to follow, to be blessed by him. And his rules are custom-designed, custom-designed for us so that our relationships may flourish and prosper. Okay. Our first relationship must be with him. And then from our relationship with God flow all the other relationships we have. Whether it be relationships in our families, relationships in our communities, relationships in our service to others in his name, or the relationships that we build in our vocation. Now, we all know what that is, but that's Latin for the simple English word of our calling. What has God called us to be? Well, today we look at the family of Abraham's son, Isaac, particularly Esau and Jacob. That's who we're concentrating on, these two. Now, beginning with Abraham... This family puts the fun in dysfunctional, okay? Let me just give you a few highlights. When Abraham was 87 years old, some 12 years after he had left Ur of the Chaldees, he and Sarah still didn't have a son or any child whatsoever. So Sarah said, here, go into my servant girl, Hagar. And she conceived, and Abraham had a son named Ishmael. Well, then 13 years after this, the son of promise, Isaac, was born. And already the older brother was poking fun at him, and Sarah commanded Abraham, send her away. Send away the servant girl and her son. Okay, and then along comes uh, Isaac, And um, after Sarah had died, and Isaac was about 40 years old, Abraham sent back to where he came from and brought Rebekah, had Rebekah brought to be married to Isaac, okay? They had to wait 20 years for their child to be born. But then eventually, when Isaac was 60, They had twin sons. And Isaac favored Esau, his firstborn, 
because he was a hunter and a man's man. However, Rebekah favored Jacob, her younger son, because he was quiet, because he was staying at home all the time, and he might have even been a bit of a mama's boy, okay? So, as time goes by, before we came to the portion we read, Esau was famished one day, and Jacob had stayed at home and, and, and cooked some food, and he sold his birthright for the food. Now, today we heard how Jacob got Isaac's blessing through deception. Now, we didn't hear this part, but between the stealing of the blessing, and it wasn't really a stealing, but, you know, he didn't do it right. Um, Esau decided he was going to kill his brother Jacob. Rebekah got hold of it. And so she commanded her husband Isaac, send Jacob all the way back to my brother. Send him back to my brother's house. So while this was happening early in the journey, we heard how Jacob had this dramatic and gracious encounter with the God of his father and of his grandfather. Now, we also heard from John's gospel at the end of the first chapter, by this time, a fifth man was following him, and that fifth man was Nathaniel, who wasn't named in the two sentences that we heard read. But Nathaniel came to Jesus with skepticism, and then Jesus told him something that he couldn't have known, and he begins to put faith in him. And then we heard it. It was the last sentence we heard read. Jesus tells all of his followers that they will have the same gracious vision and experience of God that Jacob had. And we'll get to that in a bit. But that is marvelous when we think about it. You know, it wasn't just for Jacob and his descendants, but it's there for everyone on earth. So as we now dig into the details in order, in order to mine some pure gold out of it, let's realize that God wants to give us a better relationship with himself and also a better relationship with other people. So let's look at the excerpts from chapter 27 first. And we can sum it up that Isaac planned to bless Esau. But Rebekah arranges for Jacob to get the blessing. So the first paragraph we heard, as Isaac's death draws near, and as I'll explain later, it's not as near as he thought, although he was very old. He commanded Esau to hunt game for him and to prepare savory food for him to eat. And then he says, and I will bless you. He will bless Esau. So now let's look at the scripture. I'll, I'll paraphrase the high points. So it starts in chapter 27, verse 1, because Isaac was old and his eyes were dim, he called his older son Esau and said, my son. And Esau said, behold, me, I'm here. And Isaac said, behold, I am old and I do not know the day I'll die. Now, again, Isaac favored Esau because he was an outdoorsman 
who hunted food, who hunted game, venison, as the King James translates it, and he knew how to prepare that food just right. Now, he's going to live at least 20 more years, and I was trying to do the arithmetic this morning, and my mind was blown. But if the twins were born when he was 60, he lived to be 180. Okay, so I'm figuring Jacob and Esau are at least 20 to 30 years old here. Jacob would spend over 20 years in Egypt and then come back with all of this big, huge family, and Isaac was still alive. So uh, his demise was kind of overstated in his mind at this point. But anyway, he continues with Esau, and he says, now. Thou must take thy quiver and bow and go and hunt game, and thou must prepare savory food, which I love, and thou will bring it to me, and I will eat, and will myself bless thee before I die. Now, I looked this up online, and it would be in any good study Bible or dictionary, but I didn't take the time. As you can guess, lamb and goat were domestic meats. These people, you know, moved around for a while, ended up in the promised land, and they had plenty of sheep and goats. But people would hunt venison and deer, and Isaac preferred game. Also, meat was often cooked with onions, garlic, leeks, cumin, and coriander. And you can kind of assume that Isaac would have taught his favorite son from a very early age the precise mixture of these ingredients that he loved. And then as he sends Esau out on this um, journey, this mission, he ended with a promise of a blessing for his son, who was indeed the firstborn. He came out before Jacob. Well, Rebecca catches wind in the interim. She knows what's happening. And so what we heard was she dressed Jacob in Esau's clothes, which were in the house. She put them on Jacob. And then she put skins from the young goats on his hands and the smooth part of his neck. Okay, so now let's go through it verse by verse. Then Rebecca took Esau's best clothes, which were in the house, put them on Jacob, and she put skins from young goats on his hands in the smooth part of his neck. Now, Rebecca, and her name means ensnarer. Now, I happen to like that name. It just has a nice sound to it. But she was, you know, an ensnarer. That's the name her parents gave her. She acts on behalf of her favorite son, And for the most part, Jacob seems to be passive here. Now, Esau must have just gone out with the clothes he had on his back. His father sent him on a mission. He's going to get a blessing. So those were his ordinary everyday clothes, but he had other clothes that he had worn. And these get put on Jacob. Now, also, if you look back at Genesis 25, Esau in Hebrew means hairy. And if you read the account of his birth when he came out first, it said his hair body was already covered with hair at birth. Okay, so she had to do something about Jacob, the smooth-skinned son. And so she put the hair on him from the goat skins, the goat skins with the hair. So she disguises her favorite son to get the blessing. 
And then she gave Jacob the savory meat and the bread, which she had prepared. Well, she's been married to Isaac 40 or 50 years by this point, so she absolutely must have known his favorite recipe. But she's using domestic meat, so she had to prepare it flawlessly. And what she's trying to do is take advantage of her husband's diminished faculties to trick him. And as I was going over this this morning, I have to wonder the state of communication within their marriage. Anyway, Jacob greets his father who asks him who he is. And Jacob says, he is Esau, thy firstborn son. And he, did, he said, I did as I was told, so thou must rise, sit, and eat of my venison, that your soul, thy soul, may bless me, will bless me. So as Jacob greets Isaac, who is expecting Esau at some point, but he knew he had to first, you know, get the game, the voice is not what Isaac expected. And and, and I know this from playing basketball. One time my coach said, why did you throw the ball at your teammate? And I said, because I know everybody's voice. And I knew he was down there, so I threw it to him. So Isaac's getting a little bit confused and wondering what's going on. But every word that Jacob speaks to him is a lie. Isaac didn't know that Rebekah had overheard what he said to Esau. So then Isaac wonders, how did Esau find this game so quickly? And Jacob answers, because Yahweh, your God, made it happen for me. Well, it wasn't Yahweh. And now Jacob lies again, but this time he brings Yahweh into it. He did it, but not as his God. Did you notice his wording here? He didn't say the covenant God, my God. He said the covenant God, your God, my father's God. You see, God really had nothing to do with this. God is not a liar. Everything to this point is more or less on Rebecca. Okay, Rebecca, his mother, she's the one who initiated and instigated this. So then Isaac says, thou must come, my son, close, and and, and I will feel thee if thou be my very son, Esau, or not. So Isaac is skeptical at this point about who is this son standing in front of him. He can't see anymore. He can't tell with his eyes, okay? So he needs more information, He is making his son close to get that information. And then we're told, then Jacob drew near to his father who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brothers. And then he blessed him. So here we have a tie, okay? The voice is saying, this is Jacob. It's not Esau. But the hands, at least what he felt because of the deception, those are saying yes. Okay? Now, in his confusion, he unwisely trusts his touch over his hearing. He's got a tie, one-to-one. He should have come up with a tiebreaker, but at this point, he's satisfied. 
And as a result, he blesses his younger son, Jacob, because his wife, Rebecca, had deceived him. Now, let me make this very clear, because sometimes as I go with the text, I don't really balance things. But without a doubt, Jacob is not innocent, okay? He's not innocent concerning this because he had a desire to be blessed and it made him complicit with his mother. He could have just said, Mom, I'm not going to do this to dad. But he went along with it. So he's equally guilty. Now we come to chapter 28, the aftermath of all of this. And Isaac sends Jacob to his, her, his mother's brother. Rebecca's brother, his uncle, he dreams of a ladder to heaven. And then Yahweh confirms his word to Abraham and Isaac. And and again, I will briefly mention it, but we got something out of the gospel of John. And Jesus expands on this vision beyond the people of Israel to really, I think, take in the whole world, which is good because that includes us. So the first part of the aftermath is that two days out from Beersheba, Jacob sleeps on a stone and dreams a vision of angels coming up and down on a ladder from earth to heaven. And now to bring it all together and get to Jesus and the gospel, after Jesus was baptized, he applied this vision beyond Israel, to many people. So coming back to Genesis, then Jacob went out from Beersheba towards Haran, and he reached a place and stayed there because the sun had gone down, as we sang. And then he took a stone and laid it under his head and laid down. So when Rebekah heard, and you can read the end of chapter 27, that Esau planned to kill his brother. That's how angry he was at that point. She commanded her husband to send Jacob to her brother in Haran. And this was all done on foot. And the journey along the roads and not going through the desert was almost a thousand miles. That's how far Jacob is going away. Okay. Now, in the wilderness of the Middle East, which was not sand the way we think of a desert, but mostly rocks and stones with no water, in that environment, Jacob could only rest his head on a stone. And then we're told, and here's where it gets dramatic, okay? Jacob dreamed, behold, open your eyes, pay attention. Okay, a ladder was standing on the earth and the top reached heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So he has a vision in the midst of a dream. Now think about Jacob. I've kind of laid it out for us, right? Okay, at this point, as he fell asleep, he must have thought, I have hit rock bottom in my life. It cannot get any lower than this. He had participated in the dysfunctional relationships in his family. And then his brother wanted him dead. And now he's all alone, barely into a 1,000 mile wilderness journey to go to his uncle. But then 
He sees heaven and angels coming to him. What grace. I mean, this is the grace of God. He doesn't deserve any of this. But right now, he's broken and he's feeling it. So I take comfort from this. Heaven, God, is close to broken people. Now, let's just go to uh, John's gospel for a minute here and uh, take into consideration what's happening and, and what the gospel writer is telling us about Jesus and Nathaniel, okay? Jesus picked up on this very event in the history of the people of Israel. They would have all known, everybody who heard him would have known about this. And he did it for the individual father of the nation of Israel. But then he sees Nathaniel. And Nathaniel comes to him. And Nathaniel comes to him skeptically. But Jesus tells him a good thing about himself that nobody could have known. And Nathaniel went, wow. And he starts to believe in Jesus. And then Jesus responds using the plural you. That's why I've tried to use thee, but we don't do that in English anymore. But using the plural. So Nathaniel was the fifth follower talked about in the first chapter of John. And Jesus now expands on this vision only given to Israel and says, this will happen for many people, for you all, multiple people will have this grace of having the same vision of God's nearness and God's grace that Jacob was giving. So we're, we're in what we call the Old Testament and Jesus hadn't come to earth. But one thing about Jesus is he takes everything God said before Jesus came to earth and he makes it that much better. So with this as a background, let's come back to our Jacob story. Yahweh renews to Jacob the word that he gave to his grandfather Abraham and father Isaac. So upon awakening, Jacob proclaims that he had been ignorant of Yahweh's presence. And then he calls the awesome place, the house of God. So coming back to uh, verse 13 here, behold, there's the ladder and the angels, but what's the big deal? Yahweh was standing above saying, behold, I'm Yahweh, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac and the land on which you are lying, I will give to thee and thy descendants. So the gift of land, okay? And we heard about this last year when we did the story from Genesis 15. Now he's affirming to Jacob his word concerning the gift of land that he had spoken to Abraham about and for all of his descendants. And at that time in Genesis 15, if you remember, what was mind-blowing was what happened as the covenant ceremony was all laid out and then Abraham was paralyzed in sleep. And, and a pot symbolizing God, the presence of God. God said, if this covenant is broken, I will be the one to die, not those who break it. That glorious moment was what Abraham received. And now, even though Jacob is running from his sins and the consequences, Yahweh reveals himself to Jacob. 
God reveals himself even to those running from sin. God goes on. And your descendants will be like the dust of the earth spread out in every direction. And all the families of earth have been blessed by you and your descendant, your seed, meaning ultimately Jesus Christ. So this dust of the earth was one of the very first words Words of action that Yahweh gave to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 13. But now it gets really heavy. And this becomes about us and what God has done since then. All families on earth will be blessed. Now, this is the fifth time in three generations. I heard a missionary in Boston saying something once, and he's, you know, very close to a lot of rabbis, and and he talks to Jews about Jesus. And, you know, the kosher meals, you know, they say, well, God very rarely repeats himself, so we should listen. And three times he said, do not boil a kid in his mother's milk. That's why they eat kosher. And he says, okay, I get all that. I get all that. But what if I showed you something five times in the book of Genesis. What would you think about that? Would you think God was really serious about it? And it's there in your sermon outlines. This is the fifth time in three generations where God said, through the seed of Abraham, all people on earth will be blessed. People, this is for us, okay? This happened almost 2,000 years before Jesus came to earth. But God does not change. And this word is for us. So he gives it to a man who is running away from his sins against God and his twin brother. And, And what really blows my mind about this, but this is how gracious God is, he reveals himself even to those running away from their sin, trying to outrun their sin. But he goes on. God says, and behold, I am with thee, and I have kept thee wherever thou wilt go, and I have brought thee back and will not leave thee until I have done what I have spoken to thee. This is the greatest word from Genesis to Revelation. You know, I I know how hard life is for people. Even before I went to seminary and became a pastor, sometimes we just don't get what we want and what we feel, what we desperately need. And I said, God, what can I tell people who are suffering? And then he showed me something that's in all 66 books of the Bible. And it's right here. The with us promise, the Emmanuel promise, God with us. This is the greatest word that God gives to people, especially his people. His continual presence with them, and that can sustain us. And then going on, he says, and I think this is an amazing comfort to know this. Let us never forget this. He does not leave his people alone. Now, he puts a little condition on here, but I think that lasts for our whole life, okay? Because he says, I will never leave you until I have accomplished all I have spoken to you. 
And that's for all people. What a revelation to Jacob. He still had plans for Jacob, despite all his sins, despite all his faults. Okay, what a revelation to Jacob of grace. And this is also grace for us. God reveals himself to those even who are trying to outrun their sins. And then we're told Jacob awoke. And he said, surely Yahweh is in this place and I did not know it. Well, because of his sin, for which he was actually named, Jacob means supplanter. And he's now twice supplanted Esau. Esau, because of his own sin, sold his birthright to Jacob. And now Jacob, with the help of his mother, Rebekah, has received the blessing, which Esau could not have. So... He was seeking all along to supplant his brother, and he had succeeded. And that's why when he fell asleep, he was ignorant of God, just ignorant of God. Now God has graciously given him knowledge. And people, this is for us now. As I reflected on this, may we receive knowledge that God's grace can free us from our sins, and we can live knowing him. Jesus prayed in John 17, this is eternal life, that they may know you and that they may know me. Now, I want to put in a word of warning and balance here. And I told Debbie yesterday I needed to find it, and I went up and started searching my Bible online, and I finally found what I think is the best way to balance this out, okay? The author of Hebrews warned people so that no one would come short of the grace of God, being unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal, and who, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected because he found no place of repentance. Okay, that is Hebrews 12. So God is gracious. He's always offering us his grace. He's always offering us forgiveness and blessing. But what will we do with this offer? That's our responsibility. And if we give them a straight arm and push them away, we can lose all of this. So let us be careful. And we're told in closing from what we heard this morning, then Jacob was afraid, as well he should have been. And he said, how awesome is this place. There is none other like it. This is none other than the house of God and the gate to heaven. Awesome place. May we realize the true blessing that comes from being in the presence of the awesome covenant God and being in Christ as his adopted sons and daughters close to him, close to each other. That is our awesome place. And he gave the name of the place, Beth Elohim, the house of God. And it was only two days journey out from Beersheba. So, you know, you divide a thousand by 30. And I think I figured out it's a big, huge number. Uh, I'm not going to try to do it in my head now. But here's the 
Another very important thing tying in with John's gospel. From this latter vision, Jacob believed God was his gate to God, or this was God's gate, Bethel. He lamed it when he was coming back from his uncle. But understand, Jesus is our gate or our door to God, John 10. So let us praise God because Jesus revealed that he opens the door for all sinners to any sinner that would come to him. So when God revealed himself to Jacob trying to outrun his sin, as I had said before, I prayed. Sometimes I'm embarrassed to confess my sin to God because I know it's so horrible and how could he forgive me? He can. That's what this teaches us. Now, people need to bless and be blessed. But unfortunately, people also deceive others to gain a blessing that they desire. And when this happens, the offended person may even go so far as to seek the life of the offender, and that will cause the one who has done wrong to flee in loneliness and discomfort. But the gracious God who loves people can and will reveal himself to the sinner. And that sinner may then come to him and acknowledge the presence of God and be saved by him and reverence him in awe. And God always reveals himself to those trying to outrun sin. What will we do about it? Let's come to him, receive grace in life in Jesus Christ. Amen.